Welcome back to another episode of Venture Unlocked, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the business of venture capital. I'm your host, Samir Kaji, and this week we are joined by Jordan Knopf, co-founder and managing partner of Tusk Venture Partners, who founded the firm with Bradley Tusk in 2015. Tusk was founded originally to help founders build companies in areas that require regulatory navigation and expertise. The firm recently closed its third fund with $140 million in investor capital, and it has invested in companies such as Coinbase, Main Street, Lemonade, and FanDuel. For full disclosure, Tusk is also an investor in the company I co-founded, Allocate. Jordan and I went deep on a number of topics, including the evolution of Tusk, moving from a multi-stage firm to an early stage firm, how they've constructed their investment mentality, and his overall views and regulation, including within the crypto markets. We really hope you enjoy our conversation with Jordan. Jordan, it's so great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. So let's let's go back to uh, the beginning of Tusk. Uh, you know, seven years ago, 2015, you and Bradley get together. Tell us about some of the shared observations you had that led to starting Tusk. Yeah. So uh, it man, it feels like so much longer ago than that uh, at this point. But it, it was um, the genesis of it came down from. So at that point in time, I was at Blackstone. I was doing early stage investing uh, off the balance sheet um, in a companies that you know were strategic to some degree to 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 the firm's operations and really tight mandate, um, but also just noticed uh, a change in the ecosystem, which was much smaller than it is today, around the preference for. Um, people that really had deep domain expertise, um, whether that's at the sector level or a NIC or a, you know a kind of um, a value proposition that it took the what was starting to become platform table stakes to the next level. And at that point in time, we started to see funds launch that were specifically focused on real estate or specifically focused on cybersecurity. And my 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 gut was, you know, when I was at Blackstone, I was thinking, the, you know, look, this is, I'm learning everything. I'm sucking in as much information as possible from an amazing mentor. But obviously, uh, I wanted to, to, to launch my own, my own shop. Uh, and I, I, the idea was, let me go find a partner that has uh, not the same views as me at all, actually, completely different skill set. And I was introduced to Bradley from a founder uh, that that I had led their Series A, the last deal I did at Blackstone, and I had no idea that this world existed of of of, of regulation and the impact it could have on, on startups. And so we started just uh, an active dialogue about what this would look like if you were to to provide if you if you could action um, a fund that the thesis really was. We're going to be the, that fund that sits at the nexus of regulation and technology, and we'll be able to understand regulatory risk, which is com- which at the time was completely rubber stamped. Um, you know, as just a major risk, nothing you can do about it. Just be aware; it could negatively impact the company. Help underwrite that risk, but also help founders execute against that risk, like no other venture firm can. Um, and that really was the genesis of of what what we what became our proof of concept fund one, where we wanted to say, this makes sense to us. And it sounds like it's, it's about, it appears to be something that founders would want, uh, you know, some, some expertise in, um, especially given that this, the idea was that, look, the big, like there were people running away from regulated industries at that point in time, uh, being venture investors. Um, that's where we, we wanted to go right at it. That's where, that's where we thought all, all the, the biggest opportunities you're not relevant unless you're regulated. <laughs> if you if you have a great idea and it's in an unregulated market, that's for a 
very short period of time because regulators are there to protect consumers. So it, it's um, it was one where we thought that there would be a, a tremendous amount of, of, of interest in the strategy, but we wanted to see like, can we win deals? Can we get access to the deals? Can we pick the right deals using this framework? Um, launched our proof of concept fund in 2016 and, and, and executed on that and then went on and raised, uh, you know, a second and a third fund after that. Um, but the origin was, was always, uh, you know, I'm, my background is I've been a professional investor my entire career. So that's, that's deep in my DNA on the early stage side. Um, and my partner's is very different. His is, his is solving really complicated, uh, state and local regulatory problems and using, uh, you know, his background, which is very unique from mine, but evaluating companies from a different lens. And then that post-investment value add, that's very, very different than mine. So I look much more like the generalist that takes the board seat. He looks a, a lot different than that um, in terms of the value that he brings to the table. And it's something that, that we were able to validate with the market. So tell us a little bit, maybe the evolution. You mentioned, you know, fund one being a proof of concept. And you think about some of these industries that are massive that have a lot of uh, regulation and these companies are prone to having to navigate those waters, transportation, fintech, healthcare. And, you know, I know Fund One, you did a lot of deals across stages, but tell us a little bit about how the firm has evolved, particularly and specifically from a founder support standpoint, because regulatory side of things are, are quite complex in nature. Uh, absolutely. And it's, um, it's going back at, and looking at Fund One, the, the idea was we want, to, we, we want to introduce this new type of venture capital firm type of strategy. Um, that was, you know, at that point in time, there were, I believe there were more major league baseball players than people that were, could write a check at a venture fund. So, which has changed obviously very drastically, but many people were generalists focused on stage. Uh, they would have partners within a firm that would focus in the specific area. But, um, there was, this was kind of the emergence of, of those, those sector focused and niche focused funds. Fund one was, I want to go out there and I want to invest in the best founders and create a portfolio of valuable assets that at that fund size, I don't care about ownership. Like I can underwrite this to, to I'm, I care about producing my, the cash on cash return multiples that I told my LPs about. How I get there uh, is, is that's my job, I'm the GP, right? So whenever people, uh, when we were raising that fund, people just assumed, oh, so you're, you're gonna be a, a seed fund manager. Uh, nope, that's not, that's not where we're, that's not where we're the, you know, we, we do see deals, but that's not, that's not our DNA. Um, and people were kind of perplexed and, and I, it was a co-investment only fund. So we didn't lead deals out of fund one. Um, but you know, we were coming into investments that were across multiple stages, but we were tilting early, but you know, the filter that we were using was not D, D, can I get 10% of your company for X dollars? What's your revenue run rate? Are you in this specific sector? It was, it was really like. Basically, how 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 deep in our lane are, are is this company, and can we can we drive a meaningful amount of value to the point where this is a launchpad for our entire reputation? And this industry, as you know, it revolves around reputation. So it was looking at companies that you know our first two deals were you know Fanduel and Lemonade. So it was uh, it was one where you're it, you're not going to come into and at that point in time, Lemonade is they're trying to they're trying to launch as a carrier with no cash flows. There's laws that are state by state. That state you, know, you need to be cash flow positive for years, but to get a carrier license. And 
um, you know, we were able to to get that change in some states that required changing laws. Some, you know, it was a different strategy state by state, but it really allowed us to showcase what we could do across sectors like like fintech. So that that portfolio included, uh, you know, companies across across fintech, across digital health. So Roman um, at the seed stage back then, FanDuel obviously, Coinbase, uh, Circle. So across the across the board, in in, in a lot of really really. Um, opaque regulatory frameworks. Let's, let's put it that way. As I think about you going from fund one to fund two, you went from not only a much smaller fund to doubling fund size, but you also had a shift in investment thesis inclining in fund two much more toward the early stage versus cross stages, and then ultimately taking more of a lead position versus non-lead. And all of those things give rise to normal adjustments around how do you construct the team? How do you think about delivering value? And then, you know, it's often said, which I agree with, the, the skill set for later stage investing is so different from the early stage. How did you overall approach that? And what was that transition like? I had never been a co-investor. I'm out of my, 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 that is, a, that is a, is when I was at Blackstone, we were leading deals. We were, uh, we were not co-investing unless that was a follow-on round. Um, we, and so that discipline we kept in fund one. And so every deal that we did, yeah, we were, we were, we, we weren't setting the valuation, but we weren't, you know, we were, we were deciding here's our, our valuation work. Are we taking this this value? Are we going to accept this, or are we not? Is it too rich for us? Um, we're not letting somebody else that we think is better positioned to underwrite the deal do it. Like this is we're GPs. This is our job. It's it's one that um, that's been a core, and that's always been a core a core part of the DNA on the investing side here. Um, I think it's really important to double click on the fact that you know we have a product that we offer to our founders but the dna of this firm we are professional investors it's a business model first and then you know the platform support you know if that makes afterwards um and that's that that's what makes our dollars greener but the real test was okay we know that does the market know that can i not as you know you got to see all the great deals you got to be able to analyze the great deals and then you got to be able to win the great deals and that winning of the great deal piece was was what we wanted to prove out to ourselves, to our LPs, to, and to the ecosystem overall. Because from my perspective and from my partner's perspective, there was no desire to have a a, a little niche, uh, you know, fund that sits in some esoteric corner of the venture market. We want to build uh, the next great investment platform. What did you think about? The things that you needed to index on to win, because you're right, there is that sourcing, there's the picking, and then there's, of course, being able to win. And at least historically, playing a lead role requires a higher bar of what you need to deliver from a founder uh, services perspective. And in Fund One, you were in some great companies, but you were a small part of those rounds, likely less friction. Tell us a little bit about what were the things that you knew you needed to accomplish and how did you build the team around those things? Yeah, it's, um, it was, uh, I, I, we knew something needed to change because it was playing that smaller role wasn't a wave of relief that was, uh, and I'm, 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 I was feeling very antsy to, to, you know, take center stage, I would say, um, on that end. And I think that what we wanted to do is, is really prove that, look, this is, our like as our, our platform is 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 a differentiator, which is critical. And at that point in time, it was not. Now everybody said we're differentiated. Um, at that point in time, it was 
not said on Twitter every 12 seconds, um, you know, about how different they, about how different, if you need to tell people how differentiated you are, you're probably not that differentiated. Here, it came down to, well, founders, can we compete with the, the, the brands that are out there, uh, you know, to win, to win deals? I believe that founders, that you, you, you win that spot for two reasons. You win it because the, you're, you're getting picked as a partner and your firm is being picked as a firm. And you got to be in that 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 spot um, to, for a founder to to get conviction around you as the right the right partner because I mean you lead a Series A that's a marriage um, and and it's it's one that that to me is the best part about this job you know that 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 marriage is the best part that's why that's what that's what the most rewarding piece of this 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 job is that's what that's what we wake up and come to work for every day and I think that the biggest part there was you're building a rapport and a reputation with with founders early and you're you're just being authentic and genuine like you're i'm i'm i am interested in your company because of because of a very specific reason because i want to understand i want to learn more about you i want to learn more about your business and i want to learn more about why 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 you decided to quit that job your your prior job to to build a company um to fix this problem and you know if 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 the chemistry is right this is something where you know and this this is something that has always perplexed me about how some vcs approach founders to win deals obviously you want to make sure you're within spitting distance of each other from to 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 before you put a term sheet down no one wants to put a term sheet out there that they don't win but to be that fun that says here's where my head is at and then putting those exact terms in the term sheet and shipping that out the door was something that was met with, with more surprise than I ever could have expected. Um, I thought that was pretty much the way that everyone's operating, but you know, it, it's not. And it's one where I think that the rapport starts really early. And it's one where there's a lot of people that like to say, you know, we're the first call and we're the, you know, as a tagline about themselves. And that doesn't really speak many volumes. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't. That's not a very loud voice. What the, what 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 really your reputation is built on is somebody you know back back offshoot referencing uh, a founder that you led their Series A, and you know what they say about you then. Um, and I think that that's the piece here that's that's really important in that partnership and bringing everything that our firm has to offer to those to those to those uh, to those founders and not treating founders that were from Fund One. Fund one is how we became relevant, but it's just like our LP base. I'll never tell a fund one LP that they're not that. Well, we're we our side. We got these capacity issues now. You 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 made us. You know, like we will. You, there's always room for you. And those founders that are in our first portfolio, founders that we, goes we'll, we'll we'll lead and we'll co invest still. Um, now today out of our third fund and second fund, but no one should feel like they're like they're like they're not the shiny object. Because they're all doing something that's that's just as as hard and just as difficult and requires just as much support. Um, and in fact, some of the ones that are struggling a little bit more to get that initial traction, they need more of that support than than the high flyers that have everyone clamoring to help them. So let's fast forward to today. You just mentioned the closing of Fund Three, which each fund has subsequently doubled in size. Still moderate, one hundred and forty million for Fund Three. And it's been, you know, six going on effectively seven years, which in the in the last several years, of course, it seems like funds have come out every 18 months. You've had a more methodical uh, deployment schedule, which 
it looks like we're going back to those roots today as the market has turned. Where do you think the market is right now? And how does this affect how you look at investing in today's world versus what we've seen really for the most of the last decade? So uh, just to, for, for years to anchor into the, the time, so we had a 2016 vintage first fund, um, and then you know 2019 vintage uh, fund two, 2021 vintage fund three. Um, and basically, from my perspective, where the market is right now, if and there's some there's some things that are very sacred on my end, and to probably to most GPs, and that is your investment strategy. Not to say that it doesn't change, and it's you have to be nimble, um, but you know you have to have a lot of conviction in what you're in what you're doing, and 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 in your strategy, or you have nothing. And I think that um, you know having a point of view, and you know being open to hearing feedback about it um, is important. But you know jerking the wheel because of what's happening today is probably not going to be that valuable it is with regards to your strategy. That's why just like people say, what are you telling portfolio companies today? What you're telling them today is going to be very different than what we were telling them last year, because last year you could make a change that was material enough to actually alter the trajectory of your company. And so last year when valuations were really, really moving, um, uh, we were, that was the slowest deployment we had ever had in 2021 for new capital put to work. Now, follow-ons, that was that was different. But I want to say that 25% of what our typical do- new dollars out the door went in 2021. Um, and it was just, that's just maintaining that discipline that, and it's not about, this is not a value asset. This isn't a, an asset class that you're, I'm chasing, you know, um, a, a mispriced deal. I think that, that, you know, the market is what the market is. I think that it was, it was about, maintaining our concentrated portfolio, seeing companies that we have seen execute and and we believed regardless of the market, there are major catalysts that have occurred. And that's where we want to spend our, our time, energy and resources and made alter and we changed, you know, our reserves. There are things that we're going to do to to make sure that we are preparing for 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 an for a change in the macro environment. Um but it's also one where, you know, we we should be we, we we have we have the ability to tell to tell founders what we think that they should uh, potentially listen to us about about you know pattern recognition and how they can make changes to their business, but we should probably be doing those. That good hygiene is is implementing your own advice. So you know slowing down our deployment cycle into new deals, making still those higher conviction investments, um, and working with founders. You know that reallocation of time. Sourcing never goes away. We're always going to be actively sourcing because there's this is an industry of exceptions, as you know. Um, you know, I can be slowed down to a, a screeching almost halt, and there's a chance every single day that that day is a, a day that you know I call my partner, and this is when I say we're we're nimble for a reason. We're, we have to, <laughs> we need to, we need to, we need to run as fast as we can at this one opportunity. You know, I, I will say that that you know, spending time with those companies that that weren't breakout winners just yet that they were but they're on the cusp of something that's where that allocation of time is because if you can take one of those companies that are on the bubble um that other people maybe other investors are kind of moving on to chasing the shiny objects you can alter the trajectory of that person's company obviously that entrepreneur's life and your entire fund so that's that that's been that's that was really where we spent a lot of time in 2021, you know, in building and maintaining our, our building our new portfolio, maintaining and 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 driving value and exits 
um, for funds one and funds two. And maybe I can summarize it a little bit. It doesn't sound like too much has changed, you know, throughout these different market uh, cycles. And obviously in 2018, 2019, 20, we were seeing a lot of activity. It spiked in 2021. Now it's come down. You're effectively doing the same, which is being methodical about how you look at companies, having conviction, not chasing, you know, a lot of deals. But you did touch on something that I find interesting, which is this at least awareness of what the macro might go to. The macro right now, you know, particularly as you look at downstream capital, the Series A, the Series Bs, the Series Cs have shifted. And in some areas, they've completely seized up. How does that play into how you think about your underwriting of a deal today? And then how has your reserve strategy changed to really defend against those things where even a good company of yours may not be able to raise the next round of capital in a way that they might have done two years ago? I mean, it's, 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 uh, it's a great question, and it's one where we have made material changes here to the way that we are working with portfolio companies. Yeah, just to, to, to your first question, as a board member, you're you know, providing strategic guidance, and I always love to leave board meetings with like a homework assignment. Like, what am I, you know, what's my deliverable that's due back to the founder? And, um, you know, we're not just there to be, uh, you know, we play a lot of roles and a lot of hats, um, but, you know, it's never lost on me that I have a portfolio. I have multiple portfolios. Founders have have a portfolio of one, and it, like to 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 tell founder, well, you need to do this and that, and be highly prescriptive because your everything needs to be a moonshot. Is that's not that's not in the best interest of the founder. And from my perspective, if you do it's in the best interest of founders and LPs, everything else is going to work itself out. Um, and so, what instead of saying here's how this becomes how do we get to that now in the initial pitch i want to know how we get to 100 million in revenue because that's that's the math that we are always looking for um but here it's how do we orient you as a founder around achieving tangible and attainable shorter or medium term milestones that are what your next round of financing so that financing risk which was very relevant in 2016 2017 cannabis was just coming back you know that that was and people are, whoa, whoa, who knows if growth funds are going to be able to fund these deals, like they could run out of cash at the Series C, but some crypto companies in the same, 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 same vein here, then, then it went away. Then everybody was getting funded. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's or at least that's how it felt in 2020 uh, or 2021. Um, now it's what do we need to prove out? What is if, if it's a two sided marketplace? We all know that, you know, you're you're you, you got to prove out the supply side. But things are more complex now. Traction isn't just traction. Do you want to see? Do you want to see a specific type of? Is, is traction deposits into the account, uh, into people's accounts, the number of users on the platform, or number of supply side, you know, supply side players? How how are the how are our 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 downstream investors thinking about this? Um, and what what do they want to see? Because Right now, the, the, the world is, it, people are still looking for great deals. Our job is one thing is similar across all of us. We're not paid to time the market. We're paid to, to make the best investments that we can at any point in time because our LPs have an asset allocation that's imperative that they maintain. And so I think that that active dialogue and really working with companies to say, look, this is what to de-risk that and hit these milestones to, to be, you know, I have a financial profile that you can raise a series B off of, 
it doesn't look like what you were building before. Those it's the world of must haves and experiments, right? And the experiments are uh, an important part of, of building a startup. But let's let's focus on the let's focus on the vegetables before the dessert, and and let's make sure that we have the, the hiring plan. So everything from the the to be hires. Are these people going to add value between this, between tomorrow and the next round of financing, and and building those teams around, um, you know, the 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 core offering of the business, not what that ancillary additional service may be, um, to basically paint that picture that is crystal clear about the role that you're going to play in your customers, your customers, uh, you know, your, your customers' lives, whether it's a consumer business or, or an enterprise. Given that backdrop, you, you have this unique lens of working with companies across stages, and many of your companies in Fund 1 and Fund 2 have matured to the point where at, they're at the Series B and C, maybe they've raised big rounds, and now they're in a position where they have to rethink certain things, maybe do some layoffs um, to cut burn to get to that next inflection point. And one of the things a lot of people struggle with is when you raise a new fund, your focus on the new fund is deployment into brand new companies. But yet now you have, in your case, you're on the board of a lot of these companies. It's all of the work that you have to do with the existing companies, which usually ramps up in terms of time to help solve problems during times like this. How is your time now split relative to where it might have been during the hotter times in 2020 and 21? So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's one that I, I, I will say that, you know, this has been, it has worked out well that in terms of uh, the timing of our closings of funds and what appear to be kind of discrete moments in time with, within a cycle. And what we, what most funds do is they typically hire uh, new people to come on uh, to help support that additional new capital they're going to be deploying. You know, in between that first and final close, then a lot of times that is those are those are you know uh, investors that help support the partners at the firm and so on. What we wanted to do is you know back to you, this is another answer to your question. You know where are you spending your time or where were you spending your time getting ready for this? And that was we were for, fortunate enough to have you know some of our 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 more concentrated investments exit and provide liquidity back to the market. Um, back to our LPs, back to back to us as GPs, and you know we wanted to reinvest everything back into what we're building, and we were able to pull forward some hires that we have no business hiring at our fund size. You know, uh, being new, a new 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 investment partner. You know, that new not new new to us, but not new to being an investor. Um, you know, has been a professional investor that I've known for a very long time, and being able to get them to leave. The uh, you know, a, a partner role somewhere else and, and come over something that you typically don't see from a form three. Um, then also bringing on a CFO that's been working with drawdown funds across that I had worked with 12, 14 years ago at Blackstone that has since worked at KKR and worked at BlackRock doing everything that's humanly possible around, around implementation of new drawdown fund structures across big and small platforms to help let, get us get that operational leverage to be able to provide, because things that get much harder is how do you get your LPs if you have if you have sixty active portfolio companies now your your burden of reporting is much is much higher, um, but also the LPs that you're going after are much more sophisticated. 
And I don't want to ever have to be told, hey, what, you know, when are you going to really beef this part of the business up? I want to be, I want the infrastructure of a, of a fund that's three or four times my size now. I want, I, it, it's, that's, that's, that's the, that's that customer service that everybody talks about with portfolio companies that VCs need to kind of take in, 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 in earnest for themselves. Running a, an operation that does not feel like it's, uh, like it's, like it's, it's a, it's a startup, but it does feel like an institutional offering. Um, is, is something that has always been very important to us. So um, that's where we've gotten a lot of leverage. My partner and I take, uh, you know, we, we use different methods to scale our time um, and with portfolio companies. So we've, we've also really scaled up our platform team. So the platform team runs completely in parallel to us. Um, so board level support, platform support, they're, they're, they are, they're, they're, more and and both at the same time is really what we our our, our philosophy is. Um, really, on our end, you know, we weren't from fund one encumbered by board seats, but in fund two, we did take some on. We got a little bit of scale with observer seats. Um, um, yeah, that that will take if if appropriate. Um, in and based on our ownership position, but not being overly and that's a part of our strategy of being concentrated because. We're concentrated because that's what we owe our founders. We we we, they, we owe them our non diluted versions of ourselves, and that's that's the commitment, like the commitment that we had with the first board seat I took, and hopefully, many 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 years down the road, whenever it's the last one, that standing meeting that I have on the calendar with no agenda that they can cancel on me with no questions asked, um, and I'm there just to talk about whatever they want to talk about. That's my. That's just one of the commitments, but it's something that I take very seriously to them. And I think that having that and maintaining that is really important. And the onus is on us to figure out the way to scale up our team to make sure that we can continue to provide that. Right. And as you look at your team, it's constructed to help companies on a variety of things with the core structure being built around helping companies navigate through regulatory. And speaking of regulatory, one of the biggest sectors that we've seen that's currently unregulated, where you've made a number of investments is crypto. And I'm curious in hearing your perspective on where does Web3 in your mind lie today? And what level of governance would you like to see for crypto and Web3 to really actualize to the degree that many investors hope? I look at I look at our the, the theses that we had and it's it's so it's it, it's really nostalgic going back and looking at those memos like the 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 upside scenario of Coinbase and then realizing that that you never had any idea how big something could actually get um you know and and it's it's one where you know the strategy that we had the thought that we had was that we're not we're not investors in that we're not we're not we're, we can't validate the, the utility of any underlying protocol or token better than certain funds that that is their expertise that is you know we're, we are the self-awareness part this uh, the self-awareness never never grows old that at, at this firm it's one where why are we seeing this deal why does this make sense and how can we put a punch above our weight class i'm never concerned with who else is looking at a deal that doesn't matter to me i want to i care about what am I going to do and why, how can we achieve some form of, of, of an asymmetric return profile for our limited partners based on our skill set? Um, and basically, that looked like at, in our first fund, the centralized exchanges. The bit license was the key regulatory unlock. 
we understood the bit license. We understood what the what the what Ben Lasky at the time wanted to what the objective was. And you know, a lot of times it's not necessarily them. You know, you can throw a lot of you can fix a problem, and with a lot of extra parts involved as well, it's not maybe the most eloquent solution. Um, but really taking that proactive approach and helping people understand why it's so important to have an on-ramp and off-ramp that is fully regulated. You know, if you are going after Main Street uh, types of investors. So, you know, those investments were Coinbase. They were, they were the centralized exchanges. Um, and that, 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 that played out really well for us. Um, you know, and it, it's one that, that, that was, uh, you know, I, type, I tend to view it as not necessarily your exact picks and shovels play, but it was much more of an infrastructure layer investment. And that's where we are today. Um, you know, we're investors in in several companies that that are are working on projects that are are not focused on a specific protocol or a specific token. Because th- what are we going to? Well, how am I better positioned than somebody that has grown up entirely crypto native, where the thought of the thought of not you know the the thought of not having access to to to, to crypto and not talking about it every single day is is foreign to them. It's like, um, you know, the fact that my three-year-old knows how to use his cell phone better than I do already. Um, and so it's, it, you know, these, these crypto hedge funds and partnering with people that are deep domain experts. Um, the first one that we did, and we saw a lot of synergies with a firm um, that we wanted to, to, to partner with, it was, was Digital Currency Group. And they saw regulatory risk as a major, major risk for their entire business. Um, and we were... That was a, a unique t- a point in time where they were still new. We were new, very collaborative environment back then in New York. And we started to share a lot of deal flow. And, you know, whereas they could help on us uh, digest, is this a nice to have? Is this a must have? What's the moat look like? The business related questions. We could provide guidance uh, overall and became very collaborative. And everybody has that one person that they always say is the smartest person in crypto that they know. Um, but, you know, we, we wanted several of them. Uh, and so what we've been investing in now are, are companies that are um, providing the tools that will be required for the further institutionalization of crypto as an asset class. So um, think the tool, think the cartas for the cartas for crypto are, is, are tokens going to be used to incentivize employees? Are they going to be issued to incentivize investors? You name it. There's got to be a governance protocol around that. How do they, how can they be tracked? How can they be, and it does, I'm not out there picking, this is the next altcoin that's going to really transform the world. That's not the best use of my time. Um, that's not the best use of anyone on my team's time. Um, and it, but, but understanding the frameworks and a digestible, a digestible narrative that we can help these companies go and say, you want to regulate, you want to regulate crypto, you want to ensure the safety of, 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 of everyday consumers and employees of these companies. This is how you do it, um, and and help those companies. It's very different talking to a crypto native uh, investor or a crypto native uh, user and a regulator, and you know, and and helping them. And they you know, a lot of times they're they're fully aligned on what they're trying to accomplish, um, and it's a win win. You can say, I'm going to present you with what should be the gold standard. Um, you create a regulatory moat around that business, which is our playbook. That's what we're always trying to do. Is say you know not uh, not a regulatory moat in the sense of um, you know it's going to be so hard for you to achieve all these red tape obstacles to come to infringe on our market share, but basically saying 
this is the this is you you want to do this right you want to protect consumers you want and this is the this is the proper way to do it and 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 we're going to take the regulators step by step um through that process um and that feedback loop just in, it includes another 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 stakeholder do you believe in general and taking a maybe more global approach that some level of regulation and governance is needed for any industry to truly be successful and grow institutionally it's it's kind of like one of those situations where you have a a company that's really they're they're in hyper growth and it's really exciting and then they get like a cease and desist letter from an incumbent and you're and everybody's kind of like oh, like and then everybody looks at you and you're the one who's like congratulations yay you're relevant now this is a good thing not necessarily bad that is what what I view regulation steps in once there is a once there's enough risk in the market for consumers to be threatened. The, it's that that's their job they're there i am a firm believer that regulation exists for a reason now do i think that the people that are enacting regulation are necessarily the most uh well equipped as from a expertise uh, or domain knowledge to do that absolutely not do i think that this is all that, that politics plays a tremendous role in who regulates what and why they even want to regulate something absolutely not and but that's what my partner understands really well and so, you know, that's what makes our strategy not a who you know, but a process-driven approach, um, where it's one that, you know, I think that a lot of regulatory bodies that are out there, I mean, right now we're, we're still talking about this, uh, you know, who should regulate crypto? Like the fact that, I mean, okay, okay, like how many people need to outweigh to say that, like the CFTC instead of the SEC, but like this is still a conversation that's happening. Um, and I think that it's it's it, it's having that vocal point and somebody that understands how these 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 things actually go from idea to concept into actual law. Um, and then there's also the enforcement piece. You can have something that's regulated that just is not enforced, and that is that's not exactly yeah that can be good or bad. It, it's interpreting these these and, and and striking that right balance. But unfortunately. The people building technology, products, startups, companies in general that are focused on solving acute problems in areas have a domain expertise that is orders of magnitudes greater than regulators typically do. It is it is something that that you know that educational piece is really imperative. Just like you spend more time with a, a customer that you're trying to onboard that's not really familiar with your product, um, you know that educational ramp is something that you need to bake in. Um, and here's something where we believe that there's a tremendous amount of defensibility if it's done right. Yeah, and and I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see you know regulations within crypto in particular. And I personally, I agree with everything you said. I do think that some level of governance is good. Whether the governance, when it's rolled out, is put in place in a way that actually protects consumers and is right for the business or right for the industry. Those things take a long time to sort of flush out and get right. And we've seen it time and time again. I want to end with maybe a personal question, just given your time as an investor, really in venture and at Blackstone as well. What's the biggest career lesson you've learned in the world of investing? There's a few that I try and, and they're really small bite-sized nuggets that, that I think just are relevant a, a lot of the time. And, and I think that, you know, <laughs> probably one that one that's very relevant like right now is that i've yet to come across a good decision that was made at a moment of panic uh you know i've yet to talk to somebody doing that and it's one that um you know i think the best the best advice that i've had is that 
you know, you have to believe in yourself. You have to believe in your investment strategy and what you're doing. That what you're doing is is, is the not necessarily the you're going to make investments that you're that that aren't going to work out. That's going to happen. But it's on you to not. If you don't learn from it, that's the real. That's the real. That's the real collateral damage here. But you know, and I said this a little bit earlier is if you're doing what's in the best interest of your founders and of, of, of your LPs, then everything else is going to work itself out. Um, and it's, it's something that you have to, you have to believe in, you have to, and, and to run a venture firm or any firm, you need to be that person that regardless of what's happening, the noise the, that's around you, you have to have that steady hand on the wheel, because if you don't, how is anyone else supposed to tell us, how, 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 how are, how are the people that have your blind side ever going to have conviction that they're, that they're in the right, that they're on the right team. Um, and so I think that that's the biggest piece that I, that I, that I, the best, the best lesson I've learned in that, you know, outside of your famous anecdotes of, you know, markets can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Sure. That's, that's great. But like this, these are things that I've taken and put into practice every single day um, with the way that I assemble teams and the way that we assign, you know, accountability and roles and responsibilities as a firm. Yeah, steady hands during these times are absolutely paramount. And of course, these times are what really define great investors. And, you know, these times also offer, you know, sometimes the best opportunities. And, you know, you've heard the old adage, never let a good crisis go to waste. And it's it's an exciting time. It, it, it will be an exciting time for sure. And again, congratulations on closing Fund 3, um, all the success you've had so far and really appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of Venture Unlocked. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jordan. To learn more about him or Tusk Venture Partners, be sure to go to ventureunlocked.substack.com for detailed notes of the show, as well as my ongoing commentary about the world of venture capital. Venture Unlocked is also available on iTunes or Spotify for download. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and a review as it really helps us out. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button in order to get each and every Venture Unlocked episode as soon as it's released.